Guten Tag, Private Equity fans. Who topped the fundraising charts in the dark region last year? Who's still on the road? And are we in for another record year? We'll also look at how venture players are faring and at whether or not the Mittelstand is ready for the bonanza of capital coming its way. So get ready for a deep dive into the dark fundraising landscape on this latest episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hello, listener, and welcome back to the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. We're back to our regular schedule on the pod after a little recap episode from IPM in Cannes. Uh, we're still going continental this week, mind you, but to a potentially less sunny destination. So as you know, we produce a number of fundraising reports every year dedicated to specific geographies within Europe. And our first report of 2020, which was produced in association with the Aztec Group, looked at the dark fundraising landscape that is covering mainly Germany, uh, but also Switzerland and Austria. It's well worth a read and we'll drop a direct link in the episode notes for our subscribers to download the report directly on Onquid.com. But what we are going to do today is give you a broad overview of the findings of the report, uh, look into a bit more detail at what the fundraising pipeline looks like in the region, and also delve into a couple of the features that were included, uh, namely around how local managers are adapting to the ESG revolution and a closer look at venture fundraising in the region. It's my pleasure to be joined in studio by the two masterminds behind the report, namely Paul Tilt, Head of Fund Research at Accurus. Hi Greg, it's great to be back for my second pod. And Harriet Matthews, who covers the DAF region for Unquote. Hi Greg, thanks for having me. Thank you very much for joining me. Okay, without further ado, we're going to dive straight into the bulk of the report, uh, which is around recent fundraising activity, uh, the, the first part of the report anyway. So I'm going to turn to you first, Paul, because you, you put all the stats together, you spoke to uh, placement agents and NLPs and, uh, and got a sense of uh, what the fundraising landscape is like. Uh, can you start maybe with a few headline stats to get a sense of how busy fundraising was in the region in the last 12 months or so? Sure, Greg, happy to. Um, we recorded 26 funds securing 13 billion across all strategies in 2019. Uh, and this headline figure was the second highest recorded by Unquote um, and obviously continues the trend of the strong sort of fundraising environment that's been in evidence since 2016. Um, of that figure, buyout funds raised nearly 8 billion. Uh, that was across 10, 10 managers and 10 funds. Um, and in a European context, the DAC-based managers raised 9% of the entire sort of 87.7 billion of fund raised um, throughout 2019. And this equates to a value of 12% by volume and uh, places the region as the first, third most active behind France and uh, then the UK. Okay, it's actually quite matching the sort of the, the size of the market in terms of investment activity as well, actually. Yes, it's kind of maintained its um, sort of percentage volume and uh, actually a, a bit of an uptick on, on the prior year. Um, alongside this, uh, in the region, we shouldn't forget that the pan-European players, and particularly Nordic managers, um, have successfully raised huge sums, and they'll be targeting this region as well as one of their, their key sort of target geographies. Um, so a lot of capital sort of chasing the, the DAC region deals. That's actually a good point, because uh, the report doesn't only look at kind of domestic managers, it's any sort of capital that is going to flow into the region eventually, isn't it? Yeah, the lines are kind of blurred because obviously now managers are sort of um, expanding their, their horizons. But um, we focus on, on DAC-focused managers, but also, yeah, some of them may be outside of, of the base outside of the region. And um, actually, we've also spoken to a number of the larger LPs recently, and they've told us that they're happy to gain their DAC exposure through the pan-European managers. They're able to put larger tickets to work and equally gain multi-country diversification benefit through these larger managers. 
Um, any big uh, sort of familiar names that that hit the their targets last year, or maybe didn't hit their target? Yeah, well, as ever, the fundraising figures can be um, skewed by significant closes. And uh, Triton obviously pulled in five billion, so that was a, a big uh, big amount of the volume. Um, but however, a number of the household names also did very well. So we saw um, the likes of Paragon, uh, Boromin, which um, listeners may may know as Steadfast Capital. They recently uh, rebranded, uh, and Ufanal all registering final closes that were sort of ninety percent, one hundred thirty-two percent, and one hundred forty-seven percent larger than their respective prior vintage funds. So um, you know, showing the, the continued appetite for the asset class and the region. What we've seen is that managers who can demonstrate stable teams and sort of a, a good track record appeal to this uh, the LP base, uh, both domestically and international, um, and appear to be raising these funds with kind of apparent ease. And um, there's a few quotes in the report that sort of highlight sort of um, uh, how these managers are faring. Okay, cool. Um, so obviously, still a lot of appetite for uh, for the region among LPs, uh, as you said, either via domestic managers or. or um players maybe from the Nordics or neighboring regions that are going to invest in there. Yeah, and not only sort of the household names and, and sort of the ones with track records, but um, we, we we spoke to uh, Bid Equity, uh, a new manager. They they raised their first fund, uh, well, commingled fund last year and uh, pulled in 125 million in, in sort of nine months. Um, and what they told us was that the, the LPs were they, they were really attracted by the sort of uh, the strategy targeting kind of smaller EBITDA software type B2B um, and a buy and build approach. Um, it was kind of different to some of the bigger players out there. And um, I think what they're hoping to do is yeah, do a buy and build um, sort of platform acquisitions and then try and sell these companies on to some of the, some of the, the more mid-cap players. So quite an interesting strategy there. And um, yeah, just the, the fact they've got international family offices and entrepreneurs from Europe and the US uh, was no mean feat for, for a maiden fundraise. So it's not all household names. It's, it's yeah, some new players have, have turned up. Because that's actually, um, I think that's been sometimes a, a criticism in, in part of the, of the certainly in Germany, of, of the German private equity market, about the fact that it's, um, it's obviously rich in opportunities on the investment side, although how easy that is to get we, we can get into that um but perhaps in terms of the gp landscape that it, it lacked a little bit of, of new blood especially on the on the domestic side but clearly new newcomers can still yeah, find we shouldn't their, overstate find the amount of newcomers but um yeah we've seen it it's, it's the sort of to the frustration of industry players the number of sort of gps have maintained relatively stable and the number of buyout closes per year looking at sort of unquote we're, we've registered sort of nine on average per year since 2010 so you know we shouldn't overstate the the, the you know the amount of new players but um it, there is there is the optic which is, is is a positive um so yeah it's it's looking good and uh, you also looked at uh, a couple of, of trends that I thought were quite interesting. Again, along these lines of, you know, what what's new in the in the region, what what's coming up. Um, one of them was around uh, a debt funds, which I thought was quite interesting, um, and also uh, perhaps international GPs opening offices in the region. So you know, showing that it's, it's on their radar. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, yes, we we uh, that was you're quite right. Sort of um, throughout the report and and sort of talking to the market, the sort of what was quite evident was that the, the number of sort of new office openings and sort of um, not just, you know, the boosting of uh, pan-Europeans with sort of um, feet on the ground uh, was a big trend and sort of particularly amongst the Nordic GPs, um, you know, such as Auto Equity and FSN Capital launching in, in a sort of uh, expanded offices in the region. Uh, I think the common management style and business culture was identified by some of these players as, as kind of contributing to this trend. And, and as well as the improving perception of private equity within the DAC region. And this kind of the perception of PE uh, in, in the region 
it's it's something obviously that's been spoken about for a long time. The uh, the industry commentators spoken to for the report were kind of pretty positive, although um, I think from ranging from oh the perception hasn't got any worse to there's been no watershed moment, but it is improving. So um, I think this is attracting sort of a wider mix of sort of pan European GPs to the region as well. And uh, also sort of talking to Pemberton's Jürgen uh, Brewer, he told us that sort of the discussion now with MPE is kind of less emotional and more concentrated around facts and positive developments within um, portfolio companies. And this is kind of backed up by a recent um, PwC survey. I think it was 300 family businesses um, of those, 83% um, were more open to PE investment, up from 61% in 2013 and 72% believe in uh, private equity increases the overall performance of companies. So there is, you know, it looks like there is the beginnings of a sea change, um, but no watershed moment. Still pretty, pretty encouraging, though, for the uh, for the Mittelstand. Yeah, so the surge in private uh, debt activity, uh, banks and direct lenders in the region are now on a near equal footing, so, uh, particularly in the mid-market space. Um, a very positive development for the, the dealmakers, as they now have another sort of tool in the toolkit to finance these deals. Um, we, we've noticed HF Private Debt, Switzerland's Vicenda, Denio Private Debt, and Patrimonium all been very active throughout 2019. And we expect to see a number of these raises close off um, in, into 2020. So um, that, that has been a positive development in the, uh, in the region. And consultants we spoke to have said that sort of private debt, alongside private equity and infrastructure uh, funds, seem to be neck and neck in popularity with LPs. Um, and uh, I believe Pemberton said that there's been a, a slight change in regulation for insurers, where whereas private debt, um, the categorization used to be uh, alternatives, which potentially could restrict how much they could place into the asset class, it's now um, going to be taken a fixed income. So we're expecting to see more insurance money uh, go into the private debt asset class. Excellent. And yeah, and another way for LPs to, to get exposure to the region, albeit with a different um, return profile, risk return profile to, to the buyer players, but still, that's um, hugely encouraging for, for both LPs and deal doers. Um, let's take a pipeline now. What's, uh, what's coming up? Who's on the road? And uh, are people expecting to, to see another strong 12-month ahead? Yeah, well, as ever, I've, I've delved into our extensive unquote database. Um, and there are currently 76 DAC-focused managers um, in the market. And they're seeking a combined $16 billion, um, in commitments. And there's a further 18 in pre-marketing that haven't yet hit the, um, the fundraise trail. However, many of these managers may not close off in 2020. But um, we are expecting another strong year. The consultants and placement agents we've spoken to as well, um, based on the fundraising cycle, and you know it's very circular. They they tell us that generally they expect 2020 to be very similar to, to 2019. Uh, uh, sort of some of the the rationale for this is it's a, the continued attractiveness of the region uh, and DAC LPs themselves still typically underweight to the private equity asset class um, and sort of playing catch up with their UK and US peers. And just highlighting a few of the notable raises, we've got D-Bag that's nearing its 1.1 billion target. Um, Capiton is set a 625 million hard cap for its uh, sick fund. And uh, Quadriga um, is looking for 500 million. And we expect to see many of these funds hit, hit target throughout 2020. Yeah, and I'm sure they'll, uh, they'll feature in the uh, 2021 DAC fundraising report. No doubt about that. Uh, thanks a lot for all that, Paul. Uh, we can take a little break. And when we're back, we'll talk all things ESG and venture as well. So stay tuned. With a new year comes a new raft of essential Unquote events, starting with Allocate, now in its third year and more unmissable than ever. 
Once again held at the illustrious grounds of The Grove in Hertfordshire in June, the AGM brings together a select audience of GPs and LPs to network and discuss the wider trends facing private equity's future, and maybe partake in a round of golf. We'll also host the Italian Private Equity Forum in July, the British Private Equity Awards in October, and our annual Nordic Conference in November, and many more besides. Head over to events.onquo.com to get in touch if you would like to attend or sponsor. And we're back. Okay, Harriet, you looked more specifically at venture fundraising in that last year. Uh, it's obviously something that's been quite closely associated with the German market in particular, uh, given the buzz of the, the Berlin startup scene in, in the past few years. So there's been quite a few eyes on that. Uh, what, in, in quite general terms, what did the market look like in terms of headline numbers last year? Um, yeah, absolutely. So um, in 2019, we saw 13 venture capital fund closes, um, and that generated um, just over 1.95 billion um, compared with 2018. Um, it's a pretty similar figure. Then there were uh, 12 closes and uh, 1.94 billion raised, so um, really quite similar. Um, it was an interesting year on the investment side, though, I would say. Um, 2019 was um, actually quite a highlight with 365 deals compared with 277 in 2018. And uh, the aggregate volume in 2019 was 8.35 billion compared with 4.7 billion in 2018. So some quite significant differences um, there as well. Okay. Um, and obviously, yeah, all the, because it's not just last year, as you said, quite similar to, to the year before as well. It's quite a lot of capital coming into it. That's very clearly finding uh, finding a way into uh, into the dark startups. Um, what sort of trends have been driving that um that surge in investment activities, especially on the, on the value side, that was quite that was quite striking. What's you spoke to a few people, obviously for the, for the report. What was their sort of take on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so on the um, on the value side, when it came to the, the deals and investments, um, there were fifteen uh, what we'd kind of call mega rounds in Germany last year, and uh, that was more than double the previous year. Um, there's a few factors kind of driving that. So um, I think. Overall, um, there have just been very significant large valuations for particular companies. Um, this year, we saw Flixbus, for example, with a significant round. Um, clearly, a lot of funds do want exposure uh, to these kinds of uh, companies. And as you mentioned at the start, there's a lot of innovation in Germany. A lot of people are very interested in the market. Um, of course, the high valuations, as market sources told me, do put pressure on the companies in terms of their growth. But Investors are clearly, you know, happy to be a part of those companies and, and want a, a stake in, in their development and uh, their potential future. Okay. Um, any names that particularly stood out last year in terms of, uh, of venture fundraisers? Yeah. Um, so there's one that was quite interesting and kind of uh, part of a, a trend, I think, that a few people spoke to me about. Um, so Wingman Ventures has been around for a while. They're Switzerland-based. Um, they raised their first fund um, this year. Oh, so first official fund before that, they'd had a different investment style, essentially, um, not via a fund. Um a lot of people were telling me about the generational change that's happening in the market, not really in terms of age, but in terms of the profile of the kinds of people that are running the funds. A lot of them are entrepreneurs. A lot of them have been involved in some of the really significant uh, companies that are taken as key examples of, uh, you know, essentially a successful startup that kind of comes to fruition. So um, if you look at the profile of the Wingman Ventures, um, some of the management, for example, 
Um, you have Lucas Weber. He was um, one of the co-founders of Eat, which was sold to Just Eat, um, Swiss-based originally, I believe. Um, and then you have um, Pascal Matis, who is a co-founder of Get Your Guide. And all sorts of people I spoke to cited that as a really interesting um, you know, part of, of the market. Again, um, Switzerland-based. Okay, so yeah, fresh blood coming into the, uh, the industry mm, and, yeah. and, and newcomers coming there as well. Um, excellent. So overall, a, a pretty bright picture for venture. Uh, before you go, Harry, I thought I'd ask you a few questions around your ESGPs in the report as well, which I found uh, really, really interesting. Um, uh, ESGs has been a big theme across the industry for, for quite a few years now. Um, but I was wondering how much of an impact are greater ESG requirements having on, on DAC managers? Because one, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but one could imagine that it's perhaps a, a bit trickier to navigate in industry-heavy markets like you would think that Germany is. Is that what came through uh, via the people you spoke to? So a lot of people really did want to talk about ESG when I was writing this piece. A lot of people are interested in talking about it and talking about their strategies. Um, You're right that there can be a perception in the DACH market that uh, it's industry-heavy and effectively it can be difficult. But actually, one of the ideas behind ESG can be that you can invest in those kinds of companies and therefore define a strategy for your investors and for the company in order to perhaps make it more compliant, more in line with ESG goals. Um, There are a number of funds now actually that are keen to use ESG as almost a marketing strategy, but it does go further than that. Uh, There's a real consensus in the market that the LP demand is there and it needs to be more than a box-ticking exercise. Okay. Um, And a big debate across the industry is is around how much this has to be codified, measured, and perhaps even standardized. And we've seen quite a a spectrum of responses on that, depending on the the various regions that we've looked at. You wouldn't necessarily think of it that way, but there does tend to be a difference between, let's say, the way that... Uh, Benelux managers approach it versus you know French managers or Italian managers um, what was the take of the the local players that you spoke to through the report well um, a lot of them are signed up to the UN's principles for responsible investment that requires certainly not on sort of the the front end of investing in a company so to speak uh, but more on the reporting side it requires a lot of accountability so it's been interesting to see that market players didn't really there wasn't really a consensus about whether there should be a model when it goes when it comes to investing in a company initially. But what they were saying is that as people sign up to more of these initiatives and as there's more pressure and more interest from LPs, particularly in the US and the Nordics, there will be more of a need to really show the results of uh, ESG in an investment period beyond returns, really looking at concrete examples of uh, development in in those three key areas. Thank you very much for that, Harriet. A really interesting piece, definitely worth a read. Uh, Right, it's probably a good time to bring the podcast to a close. Uh, After all, we don't want to spoil all of the reports ahead of time. I really encourage you all to download the whole thing. Um, We've got a link up in the episode notes and it's very easy to find on Encore.com in any case. We have much more in the report, including leak tables, a couple of Q&As with Hamilton Lane and the Aztec Group, a detailed LP profile on HQ Capital, uh, a lot of good stuff in there. And of course, if you want to stay abreast of all things private equity in the DAC region, from fundraising to investments and even secondaries, Unqua.com is the place to be. Uh, before we go... 
Paul, any other reports coming up that our listeners should know about? Yes, Greg, we're in the process of writing our impact investment report, and this is actually very timely, uh, since KKR has just raised $1.3 billion for this strategy this week. Um, we've had a lot of interest um, from industry participants, so that will be going out in May. So, um, yes, yeah, stay tuned and looking forward to um, being back on the pod to discuss the findings. Thank you very much for that, Paul. Excellent plug. Uh, looking forward to that report as well. Uh, that's it for us this week. Thank you very much to my two panellists, Harriet and Paul. And thank you, listener. We'll be back before long with another episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Podcast.